Uh, for everyone watching, the, the background to this is I released a video on forehead and forehead anatomy, which I think covered what a, what a lot of people would, if you look into it, it's the anatomy you get taught. And I've been on training days when that anatomy is relied on very, very heavily to the point where um, I once saw someone teach treating revolumizing the forehead with needle onto periosteum with a single bolus in the middle of the forehead and then massaging it out. So, so this, is how, this is how, if you believe in, in black and white anatomy, that if there's some rule or whatever, that it's always that way, um, you can talk yourself into injecting that way, believing that it's, it's a very safe place to put the injection. And then you sent an image, by the way, that's not how I teach it, um, but, you, but as I was talking about those principles of where the arteries were, you inboxed me with this picture of some anatomy where all the arteries are running exactly where they're not supposed to be. And that's kind look. of what, what tonight is about. So, is, so look, uh, what I can tell you on that note is that uh, please, first and foremost, don't shoot the messenger, okay? Don't <laughs> shoot the messenger. Even the apocalypse messenger is still just a messenger. Uh, uh, but reality is that it is uh, remarkable. It's fascinating how we have a consistency on the existence of the anatomical structures. Everybody has this artery you're scared of, and, and me too. Uh, everybody has, there is a consistency, and it's remarkable. The variation is on the location, the size of the structure, and I have so many anecdotes. When you ask me about the anecdotes, I said, oh my God, I wish I had, you know, uh, we had a chance to talk more about it, uh, and I'm, I'm sure we will. But reality is that location, the size, and most importantly, when the treatment plan is exclusively aesthetics, the functional status, the status of the immune system of the area where we are uh, planning to treat. So all of these structures that are always there but they are, will never be where we think they are. They're never gonna be the size we have in the averages. And when you told me about the books and the way, uh, uh, reality is that we need the books. And we, uh, uh, both me and you and a handful of acquaintances we have in common, we work a lot to build this literature. But these courses that we take and that we teach they don't reflect the amount of time it takes for us to feel comfortable with these structures. This is the reality. And, and hopefully we can get to that, because I think that there's both have to play a role. We, we need to, like you say, we take the anatomy that we do know, what we do understand it, and you, you develop a working model, but then you have to inject in a way that you assume that the working model doesn't work. Like, so it's, it's somehow both things, like a duality where it's also, it's what you believe to be true, but what if it's not true? That you, you, you're trying to do both things. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's, uh, which is why my example of injecting with a large bolus on the forehead is, is, is quite a good example because if and it was a hundred percent- just out of curiosity, did yeah. it blank? Did it go blank? No, no, it was fine. Um, <laughs> I mean- It's, it's, it's amazing. It, 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 it expands and then you massage it out and it, it looks, you know, like a lot of these things, it looks easy. You know, the first time you get taught these things, I remember being taught by very famous injector about a long time ago, and they don't teach the same way now, but when you're injecting the temple, it's easy. And the, the, the catchphrase was, do it tomorrow. You know, just bolus it in, do it tomorrow. 
And we, we obviously change over time because we become more conscious as co complications are so much more variable. Um, but also what I love is this variation in what you think to be true. I'm having it at the moment with ultrasound because I learn these things and then I have an ultrasound and then you're like, hang on a minute, this is not what I've been imagining for the last 12 years and it's how lucky am I? I get surprised every day. Reality is that we, we really get surprised all the time. And the trick is to learn how to deal with the frustration of finding structures where we are not as where they are where you assume they were not supposed to be mm. uh, uh, it is a very honest loyal approach to what an atom is supposed to be because reality is that sometimes you just have to deal with what you you, you find and academically we tend to summarize placement and location and size and functionality of structures in order to expedite the process because reality is that we are focusing on a technique which is actually mm -hmm. by the way something we control i'm sure there are people that place large balls in the middle of the head and they feel comfortable doing that because they've done it many times so technique and material are the are pretty much what we control mm -hmm. what we don't control is that we need to uh, uh to have a more respectful approach I think, yeah, the, and the respect comes from the fact that you, you're trying to apply an average of anatomy, or maybe as you said in the email you meant me, a, a, lot of the, a lot of the anatomy is based on a very few number of cadavers done a long time ago. That's exactly and, what it is. Yeah, and so you, but even if it was an average of all the cadavers, of all the, the anatomy, it still will not apply to the patient in front of you ever. So even if you have the perfect anatomy. Can I give you an example? I might give you an example yeah. that is recent. So a few years back, I was approached by a group that was building a book on lip injections. And they requested me to perform three dissections and find facial artery in uh, main distance to a uh, facial vein. So I performed a standardized access, like two by two inches access to find. And the three dissections that I was requested to perform had six millimeters between artery and vein seven millimeters and eight millimeters. So it was published with an average of seven millimeters. My mm -hmm. homework, the due diligence that I did in order to uh, find those structures in preparation for the book images was that uh, in the literature I found between six and 25 millimeters of distance between artery and vein. Fast forward later on this year, I've had to perform like 20 something cuts on mandible. So it was deeper anatomy. And uh, because it was pretty close to facial artery and vein, I decided to extend a little bit the uh, dissection and I created another number, like uh, the, the, the N for this particular measurement, I had uh, uh, more data. And my findings were between six and 16 millimeters in this amostrage, in this sample, particularly. Mm -hmm. Six and 60. Yeah. You see, yeah. so that would give me 11 millimeters average of distance, the main distance between artery and vein, which visually, when you look at these dissections, the one behind you, for an example, it has this kind of theme. Not a single one of the 22 was 11 millimeters distant mm. of each other. Not a single one. <laughs> so in the what we need to publish, the standards of publication is that the average of the sampling is 11 millimeter distance. 
Not a single one was 11 distance of the other. I think that's a really good example because you can imagine the distillation of that publication becoming that the artery is 11 millimeters from where it, and where then it should you be. Spend three days with your group of students and you bring up the facial artery, which you have too, because it's in an area that is straining out. The mandible manipulation of volume of the angle is trendy right now. And then you bring this up. And because this is what you have in the literature, this is what your students are going to keep in mind. And they're going to feel the pulse of the artery. The vein runs a little behind. We have this uh, uh, statistics. And by the way, I love your posters. I use one of your posters very much because it's very realistic. It's a, a diagram. It's an illustration, but it's very realistic because of the sinuosity of the artery comparing to the vein that goes straight down. And these oh, that, thank you. That is a, that's I a huge it. endorsement from an anatomist. Thank you. <laughs> and another detail, I am not a degree anatomist. I'm self-taught. Yeah. I don't have training in anatomy, and sometimes I have my work compared to people, and it's my heart skips a bit because some of our colleagues, they pile degrees in anatomy, and I'm just curious enough. So, and my experience, which is surgical, I spent 15 years pretty much just 100% clinical with no, my first lecture was 2008. I had never lectured before that. Yeah, but it's, you've got this experience now of actually doing studies and it's time with a cadaver thinking. That, That's that what is it is. Surgical yeah. access the patient and cadaver, pretty much. That's what it is. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. So, so tell me some of the things that you see. Have you, do you see injections on social media and think, oh, that scares me? Like, what are the ones that stand out to you? No, like, it, it, it lifts the hair on my neck. It does. Which one? It does. Give me an example. An example is when the upper lip is much taller than the lower. I think oh, it's against... Yeah against yeah. the natural appearance and the, and the natural proportions of the face. Another thing is when I see procedures that try with injectables to correct deficient skeletal structure. And this we see a lot because immediately it gives you the illusion that it is compensating, especially on very young people. You see, in my opinion, and this is uh, me oilizing you, which is, I'm always going to try to do that. Uh, but reality is that, in my opinion, there is no way to compensate deficient skeletal structure with soft material. Mm. And, uh, 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 big discrepancies on uh, skeletal defect that many times need to be corrected either uh, orthopedically or uh, uh, orthognatically and fillers are not going to make up bone. They're not going to make up the skeletal scaffold and structure that bone, missing bone should be. Or uh, when people try to build soft tissue on top of uh, missing teeth, especially the posterior teeth when the vertical dimension collapses because there is a closure of the facial angle and they try to compensate this. This for me is almost offensive, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Tell me, um, th let's try and make it more specific for the viewers in terms of uh, risk, for example, the specific area, for example. So um, in, in terms of treating the forehead, 
what what in from what you know about the anatomy what do you think the best approach would be uh there is a few things that we can do beforehand to bring confidence to the procedure to the moment and i think that feeling confident on your uh, decision on treatment plan is essential because the patient speaks on that they feel that if you don't really know if this is about so there is a few things i do first for an example i ask the patients to bend over your poster is great and uh, i wish uh, everybody had you know uh, the idea of what i'm talking about when it comes to your poster the arteries and veins uh, because your poster shows that the venous vasculature rides slightly behind the arterion and because of the display of the vasculature from cervical and up we're most of the times and always we have exceptions to that but we can be uh, uh, confident that arteries run a little ahead of the veins mm -hmm. veins are greenish under the skin compared to arteries and arteries have pulse so every time i see for an example tier through four supra or intraglabular area and the patient bends over if you see the pulse you know the vein is right out of it if you see green you know the artery is medial to that and this mm -hmm. kind of i didn't in case you really need to inject a volume that is relevant because small volumes in first appointments they are usually safe but when you have a young patient that wants structural change like topography remodelation and you and it requires a little bit more volume it is important to locate pulsations and vasculature that you don't want to disturb so ask if i do like this right now you're gonna see my angular vein pop up green in the corner of my eye and if you see that you know the artery is running right ahead you put the finger you feel the pulse and vice versa if you watch the pulse you know the vein is running right behind so these little tricks are essential when you need volume in areas. Older skin are more pinchable. You can literally uh, uh, palpate access to space in older skin. And if you can pinch, you have space. I have uh, a preference for cannulas when it comes to designing but I'm I, I am confident on telling you that thin cannulas, 27G cannulas are as pinchy as a needle is. And we need to be mindful of where is it that the outlet of the cannula is pointing at. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great, I love the, the tip on, on the, the, the veins and the arteries and, and that you can- Bend over a little, if I do it like this, and you can start seeing, especially because I'm a mom, so my veins need to be, you know, uh, visual because that's how I talk to my kids so they pump they already know that there is a message there isn't <laughs> that's the reality and uh, and this is very visual uh, on people's regardless of the color of the skin you can always see a difference in shade when a vessel is underneath lid area forehead area especially young people it's very thin skin it's easy to see how much space you have in between Vessels too, they have this spaghetti uh, feeling and you can even push them and place uh, your cannula underneath. One of the images, I sent you one of those gifts 
uh, I don't know if you can bring this up, the GIF where you see the material in between the layers of the, in between the tunicas of the vessel. Because of my experience with dissecting, very small vessels are not easy to cannulate. Mm -hmm. And I tell you that because there is no skin. I have a lamp, you know, sometimes a loop. And I miss it. A two millimeters thick, but it's not easy to run a needle within the, the, the tunica, the internal tunica. So most of the accidents, the vascular accidents we see, they're compressive. There is stenosis, like strangling the vessels through the outside. And also deposits of, deposits of fillers in between the layers, especially between fat and the muscular layer of the arteries. There is still no occlusion. That's why we see partial necrotic patches instead of full necrosis. That, that's an interesting idea because um, one of the things I've often heard from surgeons is if you tie up a vessel in just one place, normally there are enough collaterals that it can supply around the that's other side. Tim, I, I reconstruct vasculature. I tie big vessels. I can see people stop breathing around me. There is not one person breathe because it's so scary when you slide a vessel 90 degrees against the flow and there's no necrosis. There's no necrosis because the uh, collateral anastomosis, the vasculature is free to be occupied by the counterflow. A cork of filler, nothing moves. That's when we see the difference between cutting a vessel and clogging a vessel. So, uh, so are you saying, well, if you clog, if you clog a vessel, but it's only a short section, but you're still going to get necrosis somewhere. Is that, that's your understanding. And where, where would you, obviously, is that, how would you differentiate that from a very big emboli that kind of blocks, uh, what does it look like differently? Um, those I, two let pictures. me see if I can pull This one is the one I'm yeah. talking about. Where yeah. you have a partial occlusion when the vessel is collapsed from outside in because the filler deposits in between the layers. You still have some blood flow. This is your five seconds capillary refill mm. against no capillary refill at all. That's interesting. So th this is that compression. Now, when I thought about compression, I often think about larger structures, but you're almost saying like it can just be right next to the artery and, yes. and you do have, we, we know we have at least four, an average of four vessels that outlet internal carotid to the surface of the face around the eye socket. The dorsal nasal, supratrochlear, supraorbital, and zygomatic facial, which is a terminal branch. It's usually not harmful even when uh, uh, compromised on the, uh, on the very final segment of it. These other three arteries, they usually have intercommunications with other arteries, either external carotid branches or collateral uh, uh, from the other side. Mm -hmm. And still we see spread of ischemic patch at a distance. And this is what explains sort of what happens when, when people get so shocked when they have a, a, an ischemic patch that 
reaches the middle of the forehead and an injection was happening in the uh, uh in this uh, in the in the fold yeah and there's so, so that pattern for me i would imagine is because you've got enough enough blood enough filler into that vessel that you've you've blocked a sizable chunk of it so there's it's not that wouldn't be an m you know one emboli here it would be yes so they're like partially partially you have this where the filler reaches in between the layers of the vessel or you have just a compression from the outside which is not it doesn't require a lot of filler to compress a vessel that is 1.5 or 2 millimeters thick yeah that's a good point so th this the, the gift that you've got is an illustration of the concept uh, have you have you ever kind of achieved that on a cadaver or seen it in an ultrasound These... i happen to have a finding ah uh, right so this is a, a cadaveric dissection. This is a frontal branch of a, a temporal superficial, which I know it's a, it's a, a, a sensitive like subject for you recently because you found Miranda's uh, uh, artery away from where you expected it to be in the temple, yeah. right? Recently, I saw something like yeah. that. And this is uh, polymetal, polymet, uh, PMMA, that was found, we had this uh, uh, examined to make sure that it was a permanent filler. And uh, you have this picture, you look at it closer. Uh, I have a, a better a quality resolution for this image than this that I have, that I'm looking at right now. But you see here, when I ran the contrast within superficial temporal, it ran through, there is no occlusion in this vessel but i can sure tell you that this either the filler itself whenever it was injected or the granulomatous growth that developed as a foreign body reaction of this material at some point i don't know when is it was done uh, performed and how long it lasted it sure lasted more than the patient did so there were no, there were no, no necessarily, uh, there were no side effects that you're aware of from that case, but, it, but there was some. Know, but I can tell yeah. you that this vessel here has a vascular uh, differentiation in the tunica, external one, because mm -hmm. this material invaded in between these layers, either the injection, which this will never find out, or after during the inflammatory process of a uh, of a uh, non reabsorbing injectable mm -hmm. okay so does this sticking on the topic of uh, of temples it, what 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 do you think is the the better long term approach for temples We're using a cannula more superficially or the periosteal injections which is one i'm most most familiar with what would your opinion be? Uh, I think both are safe as long as the indication is proper. Periosteal, uh, under the muscle, is an injection for people with dolic, not as strong vertical uh, uh, profile. Because temporalis is a very strong muscle. Whatever injects subperiosteal under this muscle, if this is a very strong muscle, is going to be moving on top of this filler, you cannot really uh, guarantee that this filler is going to be in place. So strong brachycephalic people are not uh, the first candidates for superior cell fillers. Mm -hmm. Above 
the SMAS, you have consistent hollow space that can be filled. Now, the ligaments, the septa, between the septa, and I do have new pictures, I'll share them with you as long as, as soon as I have uh, they go, I need to go through a diligence process uh, in order to get access to this cadaveric images that I, of the dissections that I perform, where you see the septa separating in areas. So when you run down a cannula in this area, you feel that it grips as it goes down because the septa in the temporal area is not a one hollow uh, space. We do have a few, and I have great images of that that are uh, brand new, and I'll share them with you as soon as I, I can. Uh, and it, this is what reflects the cannula gripping on the way down. So this one bolus deposit that we massage, this is not realistic because the septa, the divisions like these uh, 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 areas that are divided by this intraceptor branches, they don't allow the filler to go down. This is also what happens with water when it retains on top of the ORL. Mm -hmm. We do have layers as foil though. On this, uh, the difference is that it has this aponeurotic display, which is a, a, a fan-like instead of the uh, uh, vertical uh, display of the oral. There's okay. still. So um, let's go back to uh, the nasolabial fold. I a couple of questions about um, the. The, the more the analog skills I sometimes call them. So it's not black and white. It's uh, it's how it feels and how um, uh, how the, the your style of injecting affects risk. Do you think do you think a gentle injector can feel going through a vessel? Is it something that you should that you would detect with a cannula? Into a vessel, I find it hard to believe because this spaghetti-like movement of the vessel doesn't let you, uh, especially arteries. Uh, while in residency, we've had to go through phlebotomy training, you know, and if anything, we are poking veins, which the tunica, the muscular tunica is much thinner than an artery. The arteries run, they tend to run off, but in between the layers, that's for sure. And we can, I don't, I, I, I don't feel it when I do it. I don't feel the difference. It's not something, even when I'm watching without the skin and I'm getting between layers of a vessel, I still don't I don't think the feeling is relevant. That's not going to be easy. The patient feels though, because we have a sensory response and that's why I'm careful on uh, recommending and I would like people to be careful on doing full anesthetic blockages, especially when it has vasoconstrictor, which dentists do a lot because they have the ability of performing local injections and they do have anesthetics with vasoconstrictors uh, available and the ability to do it, that all the time. So we need to be mindful of different procedures, different preparation as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so uh, I had another question on that. So if you, because I, I believe that with noses, it makes sense to me that cannulas are more likely to enter a vessel uh, and the bigger vascular occlusions that affect the, that affect the, the ocular blood supply 
I think there are over there's an overrepresentation of cannula injections, but it's a it's a niche space because it's such a small space. You're parallel with the vessels, and and sometimes you're having to push quite hard. Let me tell you something that uh, a little bit more food for thought. These are mm -hmm. three uh, skulls. This is a Caucasian person. This is an Asian descent, and this is an Afro descent. When we are building a bridge on an Asian descent person, look at the size of the nasal bone compared to this nasal bone. We don't have a lot of support to build filler-based bridges and root of the nose area. When we determine that we are performing a procedure on an area that is small for support, we need to uh, keep in mind how much bone support you have. Nasal labial folders and the piriform uh, opening is your medial limitation. And then you need to lift the skin because the shade disappears. Collapsing the ala of the nose, which is fatty tissue, it's not cartilage against the piriform, that's not gonna happen. It's not going to go within because you have a, a bony vault, it's an opening. So this is also another reason that I see filler moving towards uh, the artery. Even sometimes on ultrasound images, you'll see the injector saying, but I was closer to the nose. How come the filler is over there? Because you're closer to an, a, a, a hollow bone entrance. There's, the filler is going to bounce against the bony vault. So this is relevant because in this person, you have a fair amount of bony structure to support the reconstruction of the soft tissue. In here, you're very limited on structure. Yeah. And you, you can, I always recommend palpating the nose before you inject to actually of feel- Of course. Exactly, me too. Especially because the skeletal structure gives you a lot of information. We neglect palpation a lot. I don't know why is it that it happens with injections, but even uh, supratrochlear is always gonna run through a crack on the bone, either the foramina or uh, a fissure in the bone. You can feel it. And if you put the, head, the, the patient's head down, you're gonna see the vessel going up. So there is a lot of information on the topography of the skull that we uh, don't use as much as we could when injecting a risky area, as long as we know at least the main four vessels that are non-arbitrary that we know they're going to be there. Because mm -hmm. vascular occlusion with cannulas do happen. Um, and, but, but do you think you can tell by moving the cannula? Like how, so the question is really, how well adhered are the arteries to the surrounding structures? So to the point where if you, if you, if you use moving the cannula as a test, or is that a, a, do you think that's a fairly reasonable way to tell if it's in a vessel or not? Because you wouldn't expect it to move very easily if it was in a vessel. Tim, I think we have statistically more vascular accidents with cannula than we have with needles because in the bridge of the nose area, people just perform these injections more with cannula than they do with needles. Okay, so, but yeah, so I mean, I, I mean, I think that's possible. But don't you think the 
the size of the occlusion is related to the fact that it's a cannula. Um, if you're injecting more in one spot. But, but anyway, it's is, always... And statistically too, we do have more uh, reports of injections blocking vasculature in the touch-up. Because this, uh, the patients, mostly they are very uh, anxious. Aesthetics patients, they, they want results very, it's a fast track kind of uh, result. And we tend to want to please them. Most of you, not me. I'm sorry. <laughs> but we try to please the patients and performing touch-ups within healing time. And this is when we get edema fighting uh, for space with the injected material, the healing process, and also the touch-up material. And then you're going to have a vascular accident that doesn't even uh, reflect the amount of volume that is being injected. Hmm. So I, that, I mean, that, that's that an interesting is... idea that the, the, the swelling from the previous procedure is a risk factor for vascular occlusion. Um, yeah, we have most of the accidents come on touch-ups. Yeah, I can imagine the vessels are more dilated and makes them easier to hit. There is an but inflammatory process. It's competition for space, especially in young people. We don't see a lot of vascular accidents in older patients. Hmm. There is space I in mean, between that, the layers. That's There's interesting. That's, if I think of my the, the VOs I've seen, I, I would anecdotally that that fits. They're mostly on younger people. But I've never, yes, I've never thought about what that is. There is competition for space. Uh, a nasolabial fold, the, uh, the, the depth of the fossa uh, pushes the filler away from the piriform entrance because there is insertion and uh, uh, the filler is not going to invade. When it does, we have those hypertrophic nostrils that look awful and they need to be dissolved mm. because it's fatty tissue and all the fatty tissue reacts with swelling on inflammatory process. That's a characteristic of fat. But are you aware of the vessels? This is the problem with cadaver study, but do you think the vessels are smaller in older people? Like your cardiac output goes down. Not only smaller, we don't have a capillary bed in older patients. We don't have the capillary bed is poor in older people. Mm. And poor you can see that on complexion. I swear, I'd never thought about that either, but you can see it on complexion. If you look at a, a very old face, they're, they're uh, more one color and the they don't have the contrast in their lips. structure yeah. is gone. You do not have a good collagen matrix, not even to stimulate. If you don't have a good collagen a production base, what is the purpose of stimulating collagen where there is no collagen structure at all? It's, uh, it's deteriorated and so many uh, uh, factors contribute to deteriorating uh, collagen scaffolding. You do have space, however. Older mm -hmm. people, you have space between these layers. The superficial fat grows thinner the deeper fat goes wider and uh, we have, we lose everything with aging. Reality is that we lose everything, dignity even, everything, hair, water, collagen, uh, vasculature on the surface, everything. We lose everything with aging 
but we do gain space in between the layers. And that's why we have a much safer uh, crowd of patients and people that are a little older. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, I, I actually thought that the blood vessels would be take up, if volume loss was significant, that they would take up a relatively larger room. But I hadn't accounted for the fact that blood flow is less and there's less of a, that there's actually less blood in the skin, which makes perfect sense. Um, so that's something I've learned from today. That's really, really helpful. Um, Imagine that. I'm the one learning from you all the time. Ha <laughs>